Amen. King of love and grace, my God, and all my hopes and fears are in your hands, and I'm in your hands. There it is. Where you go, I'll go. Show me the way. Every step I take, be now my guide. God on my side. Cause you go before me. You're beside me. And if I wonder, love is Goodness and mercy will always follow you go before me, my guardian. When I hear you say, trust and obey, I will walk by faith and not by sight. God of my life So let your kingdom come Your will be done All your promises Will stand forever oh, Your mighty finger You go before me Your heavy good this morning. Didn't you like that worship service? That was powerful this morning. Amen. We're so glad for that. We love worshiping Jesus. I have just one uh, more announcement that I want to make personally. Um, we have an opportunity to be involved in something that I think is, is really a good thing. And I just want to give you a few little facts. Um, in Mojave County, there are currently our population in Mojave Can- County is about 208,000 people. And out of that 208,000 people, there are 26,000 of them that are veterans. So that means about 13% of our population is veteran. Now, many veterans, due to circumstances in their life, things like PTSD and substance abuse, alcohol abuse, they get in trouble with the law and they have difficulties in different things. And the number of people, veterans, that are coming into our court system is growing by leaps and bounds. Now, one of the things that has been established throughout the United States is a, a thing called the uh, Veterans Court. There are currently about 350 Veterans Courts throughout the United States. And in Kingman, we happen to have a Veterans Court. And what happens is the vets that come in because of legal issues, they come into that court. And what the court does is the court assigns a mentor uh, to the veteran. Now, this is a lot like 
an AA or an NA sponsor, and those mentors are called Battle Buddies, and their motto is they leave no veteran behind. And so those mentors go through some training and some different things that are necessary, and what they do is they make contact with the veteran a couple times a month. They help them with their court appearances and different things that are going on in their life, and basically they be a friend to them and hold them accountable. And so what they're looking for is they're looking for people that would be vet, uh, would be mentors to veterans. Now, what the requirement is, the first thing that you need to know is that you need to be a veteran yourself. So if you're here today and you're a veteran and you say, man, that interests me, I would like to get involved in helping other veterans. Uh, this is the thing for you. Now, many of you may not know this, but in Jacob's Ladder, we have a program called um, Operation Veteran that we do for um, uh, people, veterans that are struggling with difficulties. And from time to time, we do get court-appointed people into that. And so this is something we're already somewhat involved in. But if you would like to be a mentor and like to know more information about that, uh, there is a sign-up list at our information center in the foyer. And after service, Jim Consolano is going to be there. This is Jim right here. He is the uh, Mojave County uh, Director. He is the director for this program in Mojave County, and he'll have more information for you. He can tell you about the training. There are a few hours of training that's necessary, but I think this is a really good thing to be involved in if you'd like to be. So uh, you could see Jim after uh, the the, uh, service today. If you have your Bibles, turn with me over to the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians, we're going to be in chapter 3, and we'll get to that here in a minute. And Most of you know, if you've been in church for the last few weeks, you know that we are in a series. We're in a sermon series entitled Family Dynamics. The theme of this year is family, and that's not by accident. We've chosen that. We've come across that because we felt like that that this is something that God wants us to pay attention to, particularly here at Praise Chapel. God wants us to pay attention to the dynamic of family, and it has always been and I believe always will be, that the church would be a spiritual family. That you and I as people, as a congregation, that we would not just be a group of people that come together occasionally and call ourselves Christians, but that we would be a spiritual families, that we would literally be brothers and sisters in the Lord, that we would have spiritual mothers and fathers, that there would be the dynamic of growth and health that comes as a result of a family. I believe that's what God wants to happen. And I believe if that happens, if we can attain that, if we could come to that place of family, there's not going to be much that we won't be able to do. Because let me tell you something. Family is one of the most powerful things on the planet when it's healthy. When it's healthy, family can accomplish more than anything else because there is such a dynamic to it. Because, see, family is where all real transformation occurs. Family is where we come together and we fellowship and we are a community. And those things really are the expression of the body of Christ. The body of Christ is, it expresses itself through this thing called family. And listen... You cannot, you know, when you talk about the body of Christ, you talk about it in that context, you need to understand 
<coughs> you cannot be disconnected from the body and remain connected to the head. See, there's lots of people that want to be aligned with the head, but they find it very difficult to be connected to the body. And that's where we're going to have to work this out. Because God said, you know what, somewhere along the line, those are connected. I love what... Pastor Alex Wilson said on Wednesday, if you haven't heard his series on love, you need to get it. He did a three-week series on Wednesday nights on love, and you need to get the CDs. It was a powerful series. But last Wednesday, he used a verse of Scripture out of 1 John, and this is what it said. It says, if you say you love God, but you hate your brother, you're a liar. And it's amazing that the wording, and and Pastor Alex even noted that, he said that's fairly rough wording. I mean, God just gets right up in our grill, doesn't he? And he goes, you're a liar. And the reason why is because God is concerned about our relationship with one another. We can't claim this relationship with God and this great love for God, but have no love for one another. That's not even biblical. Can you say amen? And the reason why is because all real spiritual formation is going to come from the context of family. That's the power of family. <clears throat> Listen to me. See, if you really want to grow spiritually, then that it's going to be in the family that you're going to... It's, it's the crucible of family that works out a lot of these things. Can you say amen? I believe one of the reasons that we see so many people stuck in infancy in their Christianity is because they've yet to take their place in family. They go to a church, they ascribe to a belief system, they even have theology that they've made their own. But yet what they have not done is they have not connected in family. And so as a result, they remain spiritual infants. See, the New Testament church was designed to be a community held together by the power of family. But something very tragic has happened It happened very slowly. It took a long time to do it. But what has happened is we have been socialized to believe that my dreams, my goals, my personal fulfillment ought to take precedence over the well-being of my church or my family. That somehow me is more important. We are the me generation. Well, let me tell you something. That flies into the face of what the New Testament church is all about. Can you say amen? See, God's intention was not to become a feel-good father of a myriad of isolated individuals that just remain disconnected from the body. Nor is Jesus to be conceived of as some sort of spiritual mentor who can, who can uh, 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 take us from church to church or from marriage to marriage fully assured that our personal Savior will somehow bless and redeem our destructive relational choices every step of the way, as if he just glosses over that. Listen to me. What we find in the Bible, now this is key, what we find in the Bible is we find a God who is as concerned with his group, his family, that means you and I in relationship with each other, He is as concerned about that as he is in concern (coughs) with me and him as individual, in individual relationship. Listen to that. God is concerned about my relationship with him. 
no doubt. But equally concerned with my relationship with you. You can't have one without the other. That's what we must understand. And our Heavenly Father's desire this morning is that we would grow (coughs) closer and closer to Him as we grow closer and closer to each other in family. So turn over to Colossians chapter 3, verse number 12. The Bible says these words, Since God chose you to be the holy people whom He loves, you must... Don't you love it when God does that? He just kind of makes it clear, doesn't he? You must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You must make allowance for each other's faults and forgive the person who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive one another. This is a powerful, powerful portion of Scripture. It literally is God's instruction, in my mind, on how to be a family. Now, we hear this, and we even agree with it. But yet, we find it very hard to live. That's one of the things that I find funny about Christianity, and I see it a lot in myself as well is that one of the things that I have found about me is I love amassing information. I love info. I'm one of these guys that is, uh, you know, I know a lot of things. I, I know a lot of stuff about a lot of things, but it's only about that deep. I'm pretty shallow when it comes to my knowledge. I, where my expertise would be is in a quiz show. We, Kathy and I always watch Cash Cab. You ever watch Cash Cab? And we're convinced we need to go to New York so that we can get into cash cap because I win all the time. I'll be looking at my iPad and I'll be just, you know, doing everything from playing a puzzle to reading a book. And she'll be watching cash cap. And as, you know, the guy asks the questions, I blurt out the answers because I have a lots of random useless information. Over the years, I've just, I love, you know, one of the things I do find it hard to do is I'm always proud of myself when I read myself all the way through a book. Because usually I read about three chapters. I get enough info, and then I read the back cover. It's okay, I got this book. I got it down. You know? I, do you remember years ago when Reader's Digest would come out with those books, and it would be like a book, fun facts, and it would be 10,000 facts you never knew. I would buy those books because I want to know the 10,000 facts. You know, like how fast is the air coming out of your nose when you sneeze? You know, it's 100 miles an hour. I just, see, I happen to know that. You know, or, or you know, how far do germs really travel when you cough? You know, because somebody, you know, somehow, somehow figured out how to, you know, measure that. I don't know how they do that or... You know, just random, stupid stuff. And I love info. And, and, you know, somehow that kind of translated over into my Christianity a little bit. Because over the years, I have collected books. I really have. I've got a, you know, at home, i got an office at home. And I've got five bookshelves. I don't know, it's five. It's a lot. And there's something like 2,000 books. I, we counted one time. It's a lot of books. And then I've bought computer programs over the years. And I cannot tell you how many I mean, literally multiple thousands of books. And there would be no way in my lifetime, there will be no way in my lifetime, in Andy's lifetime, and in Oliver's lifetime, that any of us are going to read all those books. But I love info because, see, I am addicted to covers. 
I, you know, I would be a bad fish because I'd get caught on the first day out. I, you know, when something shiny goes by, it's got my attention. I'm, you know, and I'm going to bite. So all you have to do on a book is have a, you know, kind of a unique title and a really colorful book. And it's, I bought it. It's mine. I, you, I, it's just crazy. I've bought... No, I'm not even going to tell you that. I was, that's just crazy. I bought books I had to throw away. Because you, you, you open the book up and you go, whoa, that's not my doctrine. But the title caught me. It's, I got to get rid of this. This is, this is bad. You know, that's, that's not even God right there. But I love info. But the thing about info, in order for it to really be useful, other than just a quiz show, is that you have to be able to take it and use it. See, and the problem that I find in Christianity with a lot of Christians is we ascribe to a belief system that we won't live. You must... Make allowances for each other's faults. We read, here's how we read it. You must make allowance for my faults. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you better forgive me. Do you see how I twisted that? But that isn't what it said, did it? No, it says you must make allowance for other people's faults. So I've got to take that to heart. I've got to make allowance for your fault. Amen. Thank you. And I need to remember the Lord forgave me. See, I heard a guy one time say, if Bill Frank was here, he'd be very proud of me. Because this, this guy was the lead singer of a band in the 70s called the Resurrection Band, Res Band. And he said this. He goes, this is, he goes, this is when you can live in unforgiveness. When somebody has done something to you greater than you did to Jesus. That's when you can hold unforgiveness. But this is what he's saying. He goes, we need to live this stuff. We need to do this. And it occurred to me as I was putting this message together that the part, the reason, part of the reason why this church struggles, not this one in particular, but all churches struggle with the idea of family is because the idea of family in society has become so distorted. See, when a, when a family, when a home's broken, it distorts things, doesn't it? And so lots of us, because of the fact of where we've come from and, and the family that we've come from, oftentimes it projects a understanding or puts an understanding in us that's not necessarily healthy. And so when a preacher like me gets up and says, hey, we're going to be one big family, your experience or your understanding of family is like, well, that ain't what I want to be. The last time we tried to be a family, it was difficult. I didn't like that. Are you hearing me? For decades, the family unit has been under attack, hasn't it? Broken marriages, absentee fathers, single-parent homes, latchkey kids, abuse, addiction, and dysfunction of every kind has weighed heavy against the family. Grandparents raising kids, grandkids are on the rise. Marriage is being redefined on what seems to be a daily basis. Here, pretty quick, we're going to be able to marry the broomstick. If, you know, it's just we're in love, so we can get married. The easy availability of pornography. See, there was a day in our society when you had to go to the sleazy side of town. <clears throat> to a sleazy building with a bunch of sleazy people. 
And they made you park out front. And it had great big red arrows pointing at your car. (laughs) Now in the privacy of your home, with your phone, you can view pornography. The loss of moral direction, fornication, adultery. Even in the church, many times gets overlooked. It's like, ah, just so that we love each other. Even just the busyness of life seems to have eaten away at the foundation of family. And there was a day in our society when family was prioritized, revered, and, and even celebrated. Now, in many ways, the, the, the family has become the place of greatest pain. Children growing up fatherless has produced a whole generation of young men and women that are, have an orphan spirit. They don't even know how to relate to Father. And this is even in the church, even after they've been saved. And now they have a heavenly Father. They yet struggle. (coughs) Divorce has deeply bruised the hearts of children, shaking their security to the core. Drug addiction and even the legalization of marijuana. Yeah. Have left families in ruin. The overwhelming landslide of entitlement. This idea that I deserve something has been birthed in a generation in the hearts of our children that has left the family and the home in chaos. Children become adults demanding a lifestyle that they can neither afford or are willing to work for. And the safest place on the planet, a mother's womb, has become one of the most dangerous places simply because of a lack of responsibility. And all of this has one goal, and that's to undermine the family unit and our understanding the family. And the reason why is because the devil knows this morning that if he can destroy or at least distort the family, he can greatly limit the church. Amen. It's it's it's, It's a... you know what it is? It's, it's, it's flanking. In battle, they call it flanking. They couldn't, he couldn't do a direct attack, so what he did is he flanked, and he came in the back door. He said, look, what I'm going to do is I'm going to spend a couple generations distort, distorting family so that down the road when it's critical, the church won't even know what family's about. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Why? Why is that? Because the kingdom of God is a family. That's why we call him Heavenly Father. Our Father, who art in heaven. And I believe the primary struggle, or the primary reason for the struggle in the church, is because we've just lost our understanding of family. Is there an answer? The question is, is there an answer for the destruction of the family? Well, yes, there is. There's a really good answer. We must return to what God intended family to be. That's pretty simple. Okay? We must not, listen to me, we must not allow this world or our negative experience to define what family is to be. We cannot do that. We have to get back to the word. We have to get back to what God said family is. So I thought about that, and I, I, I said, God, will you show me the blueprint for family? Both our natural families... And our church family. I'm talking today both. This is a double-edged sword. I'm talking both to you in your natural family. And I'm talking to you in context of this family, our church family. 
because they're, they really do parallel. Trust me. There's parallel things here. So I want to take a few moments, if I can, and look at the characteristics of a healthy family. Now, really, this is probably going to take me two sermons to do this, so we're going to begin today. One of the enduring realities of family, whether we like it or not, is this. We are, in fact, connected. I want you to think about this with me. I'm starting at the very beginning of family. What is the blueprint? Well, first you have to understand you are connected, whether you like it or not. At a microscopic level, we are connected through DNA. Listen to what I'm saying. We may look different, we may behave different, we may believe different, we may even live in different places, but because of DNA, we are family. Now, I have family in Michigan. There's some family in Michigan that I know. I love them, care about them. If they're watching, love you. But there's some family in Michigan I don't know. There's cousins now, been born. That I have no clue. I see them on Facebook and I go, I don't know who that is. That's, you know, my cousin's son, daughter, grandson. I don't know who they are. But if you were to do a blood test, take my blood and their blood, what you would find is that there is a family connection. Whether we like it or not, whether we know each other or not, we are connected. So it is with the church. Do you know in this room today, there's probably 300 people in this room today. Do you know we are connected by blood? Amen. It's the blood of Jesus. And there is a spiritual DNA that connects us whether we like it or not. (laughs) There is connection. But there's more to family than just DNA. DNA connects us, but what really makes us a family is that we know each other, that we do life together. We do life at every level together. What does that mean? Well, it means that through the good and the bad, the ups and the downs, the in and out, we remain connected because we share success. We comfort in loss. We work through the tough times, and we enjoy together the good times. It means that we communicate confidently, without reservation, or without hidden agenda. See, at the bottom line, we are connected by DNA. So we'll always be family. But what makes family real, and vivid, and alive, is a thing called communication. I guarantee you today, if I were to take a poll of the married families that are in this room today, and I were to ask you, what, what, what are your struggles in marriage, your fights, your difficulties, the, you know, the hurdles that you've had to overcome? There would be a variety of things. I mean, covering every, just about every subject under the sun. But I guarantee you that as we examined those and took those and traced that through your life, we would come to one common denominator, the breakdown of communication or the misunderstanding of communication. Most of the reason that we struggle in life in interpersonal relationship is because we simply do not understand 
how to communicate. Because generally we communicate in a way that's unreal. We communicate in a way that's defensive. We will communicate in a way that is subjective with an agenda. We'll communicate in a way where there's no trust. But healthy families, they're real. When you get into a family that is strong, it's not perfect. It's real. He said, what do we see? What do you mean by that? There's no facades. There's no pretense. We are who we are. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And that comes through healthy communication. Now, how does that happen in a church? Let's look at that just for a moment. We'll look at this scripture. Wow, we didn't even get to the backside of that. It says, we will hold to the truth in love, becoming more and more in every way like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Under his direction, the whole body is fitted together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Now, what I want you to pay attention to in this point here, in this scripture, is this idea of being fit together. We are fit together through relationship where each connection communicates to the other with affection, purpose, and unity. You cannot be connected without communication. Are you hearing me? But it's through that power of communication where we begin to speak truth. Where we begin to communicate honestly. No hidden agenda. No defense. Just simply, this is who I am. Coupled with this idea that I'm going to overlook the fault. That I know you're not perfect. You're just you. And you're important. Why? Because we're connected. Does that make sense this morning? This is the very thing that we must strive for. It is the essence (coughs) and the substance of fellowship and community. Is that we would communicate with one another. That we would talk. That we would share life with one another. Are you hearing me? The second thing probably goes without saying, but I'll say it anyway. Family begins and ends with love. Now, what does that look like? In our text, part of what I did not read to you, I think, there's probably no greater description of love other than 1 Corinthians 13. But look what the Bible says in our text. Well, it says this, Since God chose you to be the holy people whom he loves, you must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You must make allowance for each other's faults and forgiving the person who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. 
we must. See, in love, we clothe ourselves. You know the interesting thing about clothing is I have never one time fell into my clothes. I have fallen trying to put them on, but I have never been walking through my bedroom, trip, and end up in a three-piece suit. Not once. I never fell and ended up in my pajamas. Never happened. Never did. Now, I have fallen and lost clothes. You don't want me? I won't paint that. I will not paint that picture for you. But no time have I ever clothed myself unintentionally. I've never walked out into the kitchen and got breakfast and said, Kathy, I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. I just got dressed. It just happened. No, there was always a deliberateness. I, you know, I'm, I, in this way, I'm probably more woman than I am man. I go through my closet moaning over what I cannot wear. <laughs> I can't wear that. I can't wear that. I can't. Oh, my God. I need clothes. And so I have to deliberately pick what I'm going to. I pick this out. Looks good, don't it? Man, I made a good choice. Look at, look at me, man. Come on. Just imagine the gift that my wife, she gets all of that, all of it. Look how good it looks, man. I'm I'm sporting the jeans. Yeah, but I picked it. It was intentional. God says, in love, clothe. Deliberately, intentionally put on tender mercy. And I was trying to think, what does tender mercy look like? Because, you know, sometimes that just, it can be just too flowery. For, but you know what it is? Tender mercy is Grandma Kathy with the grandbabies. Let me tell you something about grandbabies. They're wonderful, but they can be frustrating. Babies demand a lot. You notice that babies really, it's all about me with them. You know what I'm saying? The other day, last Saturday, uh, Friday, whatever, it was one day, my, w- my wife is correcting me from the fr- front stage. It was one day last week. Little Titus was over. And Kathy had a nail appointment because that's the priority in our lives. And so, <clears throat> just teasing. Oh, she's showing v- Vanny her nails now. And so I had to watch Titus by myself. I don't, I'm not good at that. So she took off, and there's little Titus, and so I'm looking at him. He's looking at me, and how's this going to work, bud? So he starts crying. He's not happy on the floor, so I pick him up. I start walking. He's not happy. So I sit down. He's not happy. He's crying. So I get him a toy. He don't want that toy. So I lay him on the floor. He's not happy. So I sit him up. He's not happy. So I, you know, I, I'm like, Jason is on his way. So I call Jason. I'm like, where are you? Where, where? You know, 20 minutes has gone by. I can drive anywhere in Kingman in 10 minutes. What are you doing? So finally I figured out. And I'm thinking, because when I watched Kathy... There's just this tender heart. Right. 
and this tender mercy. She just loves him. Little Oliver, he's going to be four. And he can be a handful. He's a good kid, but man, he can frustrate the dog out of you. I'm telling you, he can make the Pope cuss. It's, it's horrible. But Kathy, there's just this tender-hearted mercy that she just, you know, deals with him. He's just, it's okay. And it's that thing. It's that tenderness, that heart of mercy. Then he says, put on kindness. It's the quality of being considerate, humane, gentle, sympathetic, and generous. This is, this is what he's saying. He says, you must clothe yourself in that tender heart, mercy, and kindness, and humility. You, you, you need to clothe yourself. It's the, it's the ability to say, you know what? You're more important than me. It's okay. We're going to do it your way. We'll listen to your music. You can sit in my chair. It's all right. I'm going to prefer you above myself. He says, and then gentleness, that even tender, even, even temperament, that mild, not given to extremes. You ever met anybody that's given to extremes? I mean, some, it's, it's like on, off, black, white, yes, no. I mean, it's like extreme. Either they're, either they're extremely loving or they're extremely mean. It's like, wow. He says, gentleness. My, you know what? Take that and balance that out a little bit. And then he goes on and he says, patience. I think this is probably the big one. It's a state of emotional calm in the face of provocation without complaint. Let me say it again. I, I don't know you got that. Patience is this. It's a state of emotional calm in the face of profit. It means you are emotionally calm when being provoked without complaint. That's what patience is. So how do you do that? How, how do you remain emotionally com- calm in the face of provocation without complaint? This is what he says. He says, you must make allowance. See, when you don't make allowance for someone else's fault, someone else's fault will always be the irritant in your side. You know, I had a great revelation the other day. I, we... <laughs> I'm going to share it. It's, it's all right. It's okay. There was a friend of ours that, that came to uh, uh, Don McCamish's memorial. And he shared and he sang and he, and he just did brilliantly. He moved me, moved me to tears. And he actually, it was in the midst of this, there was this real anointed ministry. And, you know, this is a guy that I, he was the best man in my wedding. I've known him for a long time. You know, I was sitting there, and, you know, I, he, he is a performer, and I was wanting to just kind of get critical and be judgy, and, you know, I was kind of want to lose that, you know, that I wanted to pick on his, his particular fault. But you know what? When I, when I said, wait a second, that's just simply who he is. It's neither positive or negative. It's just him. Right. When I did that, I was set free. Amen. Amen. And I, could, I was free to enjoy what God was doing through him. Right. See, when I'm always looking at your fault, all I can do is see the faults. Right. I don't see God in you. I see the fault. Right. And then my patience gets out of line. Yeah. 
And then when you provoke me, I'm not going to be without complaint. Are you hearing me? Look at it this way. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, it says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with you which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing, and I'm not sure, with one another in love, enduring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond. I guess there's another one. Uh, no, it's peace. And the bond of peace. Why? Because that's healthy family. He says, you know what, bear. He says, I beg you to walk worthy of this great calling that you have. And the way you do that is with humbleness and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love. That's family. That's what families do. We communicate and we love and then we forgive. We extend mercy. Listen to me. One of the fundamental principles of Christianity is forgiveness. And it's my belief that it's in the context of family that we really learn how to exercise forgiveness. Amen. Amen. It's where we begin to have relationships that rub against each other. And look at you have to resist the option of bailout. It can't be an option. I, I remember this is one of my favorite stories. I'll share this here. One of my favorite stories is when the movie, Apollo 13, Ron Howard did the movie with Tom Hanks and uh, Kevin Bacon and all them, and they, they did that movie. And during that time, Jim Lovell, the real Jim Lovell, was being interviewed, and, and David Letterman had him on the show. And so David Letterman, you know, he, sometimes he can be funny, sometimes he was serious. And this particular time he was very serious, and he looks at Jim Lovell, and he says to him, he says, you know, you've had this experience. He says, you've had this awesome thing. You, 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 you cheated death, as it were. And he says, as a result of that, what do you have in your life that we don't? And being funny, Jim Lovell, he just looked at him and says, well, flat tire ain't that big a deal anymore. And, you know, you'd, you'd think, well, that, that's pretty cool. But then he got going on. And he says, you know, he goes, to be, to be honest with you, here's, here's what's real. He says, in, in, in reality, we were a lot closer to the moon than what the movie had portrayed. He said, there was really no discussion of a, a direct abort. He said, we, we were going to the moon. We were going to stay, or we were going to go around it and come home. He said, so the decision of going to the moon was already decided. And he said, and then there's a scene in the movie where, where the other two astronauts are looking out the window and they're looking at the moon and they're going, oh, look at this, look at this, look at this. And then Jim Lovell looks at him and he makes this line, the, uh, Tom Hanks is the actor, he makes this statement, he goes, gentlemen, what are your intentions? Right. He goes, that wasn't really portrayed accurately. He goes, I actually said that line, but he said it was when we were deciding whether we were going to live or not. And he said, I, I looked at him and it's a gentleman, what? What are your intentions? Do you want to live or you want to die? He said, because we discovered very quickly there was no way out. There was only a way through. And he said, we either had to get committed to getting through or we were dead. The, the option of opening the door and saying, I'm done, I don't want to. See, the problem in America today in the family, in the marriage, and home, and in churches is I'll just find another one. There's another one on a corner somewhere. I'll just go somewhere else. And the problem is, is it completely weakens the foundation of the family, of the church of God. Because we never work anything out. 
Because we never put into a place when it really gets tough, and now I've got to forgive you. The Bible says iron sharpens iron. What does that mean? It means two hard-headed blocks of iron are smashing against each other and sparks are flying. But something really wonderful comes out of that process is that we're both refined by the experience. Are you hearing that? That's family. That's what takes place in the crucible called family in church. But what happens is it's like, well, I'll just go somewhere else. I, I, I just do this. Um, man, man, I don't need that. What are you talking about? Uh, who they think they are? I, I don't know what he's thinking, man. I'm just. That's what we do. I know people like that. I, I have been a people like that. Man, I've wanted to run. It's like I could go pastor a different church. I'll, I'll go do somewhere else. Is that too, is that too shocking? But no, you know, here's what God says. God, God looks at me and goes, listen, John, I'll put you there at my pleasure. You're serving at my pleasure. Is this about my will or yours? It's about yours, Father. Then you know what? Do that. Well, I'm feeling a little down. He goes, well, because you're paying attention to the wrong things. I'm really having a hard time getting back because I'm off my notes right now. So what he's talking about, in the end, do you know what it really means? It means that we need to extend some mercy. And the interesting thing here to note is that the idea of mercy in the first century, it was a very Greek idea. And and, and the idea was that of compassion. To extend mercy was to, with grace and compassion, to forgive and remove the penalty. That's what the, the idea was. But the Hebrew mindset of mercy in that day went a lot deeper. Mercy was literally a part of the covenant. In the Hebrew mind, mercy and love were intertwined. They were inseparable. And a a Hebrew, a, a Jewish man or woman would say this, because I love you, I will make a way either to remove or to carry your penalty. That was to extend mercy. To extend mercy was to say, look it, I will carry your penalty or I will remove it. He said, well, what do you mean by that? Look at Isaiah 53, <coughs> verse number 4. It says, yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrow that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God for his own sins. But he was wounded and crushed for our sins. He was beaten that we might have peace. He was whipped and we were healed. So in other words, the example of Christ, the example of mercy is found in what Jesus did. He paid the price for his family. In healthy families, there's a characteristic that stands out sometimes way beyond love and forgiveness. And it's the fact that families have this unique ability to protect and to defend and to promote security. What does it mean? It means the members of the family prioritize the family unit and the relationships they have in the family. And the family as a whole 
And the relationships in that family have specific importance above everything else. It's amazing to me that the world understands this characteristic even better than the church. Sports teams, the fans. You know what? The Cardinals, they did okay this year, but they didn't make the playoffs. But my wife is a diehard Cardinals fan. That's her team. Don't be talking about her team. She'll knock you out. I know how. I know why. I said, we need another team. We need to get another. You ain't getting another team. Shut up. Go, go sleep in that bedroom. Don't mess with the Cardinals. Don't mess with that team. Why? I'm going to protect it. I'm going to defend. I know they're not doing so good right now, but they're my team. My team. And I'm going to do It's my church. I love my church. It might be messed up right now, and it might be, you know what? We might be in some, we're wiggling a little bit, but it's mine. I'm going to protect it. Criminal organizations understand this. Blood in, blood out. You're going to protect the organization above you. To be a made man. Come on. Somehow the world's got this idea down. Are you hearing me? We need to learn to protect one another. I'm going to defend you. You might be a knothead, but I'm going to defend you. And I'll pull you aside privately and go, don't be a knothead no more. I don't like having to defend that. But I will defend you. And finally, I close with this. I, I, I know I've taken a little bit of time. One of the amazing things about family is its ability to rescue and to restore. See, in the healthiest families, there can be trouble. Trouble is not something that just goes away because. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. It's just a fact. And sometimes, even in the healthiest families, trouble can come and bring great pain and heartbreak. And in those moments, the greatest need of the one in trouble is the need to be rescued and restored. I asked my son Andrew if I could share this story because it is kind of personal. But several years ago, Andrew, when he was a young man, just got out of high school, went to a discipleship program in California. It was supposed to be a nine-month program, intensive program. And they had some fairly strict rules. And Andy, I don't know that he calculated the rules in. I don't know that he really thought all that through. And so he got there, and Andy probably had the mindset that he was the exception to the rule. And so he found himself in trouble. And usually Andy kind of wiggled out of trouble most of the time through his young life. But this time he didn't. And so one day I was at the house, and I get this phone call, and it's the director of the program, and he calls me up and he says, Mr. Poole, I said, yeah. He says, Andrew, da-da-da, has got himself in trouble. And he said, we are currently taking him to Fresno to the airport, and we'll drop him off there. You either need to come pick him up, you need to get an airline pit ticket, somebody to do something, but we're leaving him there. And I said, have you, have you left? They said, well, he hasn't left yet. I said, can I talk to Andrew? And they said, yeah, you can. So he got on the phone, and I, I said, don't talk, just listen. And I said to him, I said, first off, Andy, you have to remember this. I am your father. And you will never do anything so bad as to me stop being your father. And I said, number two, I love you. And I don't care what you do. And I said, what we're going to do is get you home. And then we'll work all that out. 
Because I knew at that moment what Andy needed was not a judge. He didn't need somebody to list his offenses and tell him how bad it was going to be. He didn't need somebody to tell him that he was going, he blew it and he wasted his opportunity. He knew it. See, the consequences of his sin were already at work in him. What he needed was a father that would rescue him. And what this world needs is a group of people, a family, that will rescue them. They're going to come in with all kinds. We need to reach into the gates of hell and pluck them from the flames. And let me tell you something. Some of them are going to smell, smell burnt. Some are going to look burnt. Some of them are going to have tattoos all over. They might have things poking out of their heads. and they might have all, That's okay. It's all right. We'll love them. We'll rescue them. And you know what God will do? God is, look at. I'm not so good at cleaning up people, but God is brilliant at it. And he will rescue them and restore them if we'll just be a family to them. If we'll just be brothers and sisters, moms and dads, and rescue. The Bible says this in Galatians 6. It said, brethren, if a man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, go and restore such a one. In the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So fulfill the law of Christ. This is what he's talking about today. This is family. This is what we need to be. It's what you need to be in your home, and it's what we need to be here. And I guarantee you, church, if we'll be that, nothing will stop us. Nothing. Now, you know what? There's all kinds of things in this, and, I, and, and, and I'll share those with you later. But listen, this is where it begins. And if we'll do this, this building, that one, and any other we build will not hold what God will do. Because God wants a family. Amen? Why don't you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you so much for this wonderful revelation. We pray today that you'd help us, encourage us, strengthen us. Lord, we pray that (coughs) these words, God, would be sown into our hearts. Lord, to where we can begin to grow. Lord, that we would take on ourselves the responsibility of being a family member. Lord, we thank you for it. We give you all the glory and all the honor. I pray, Lord, as each one goes home, Lord, even in their own homes and own families, that they would begin to make adjustments, Lord, that would line up to your original blueprint. And, Father, we give you all the glory and all the honor. In Jesus' name.